Hey everybody, my name is Alex, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. But before we get started, I want to thank everybody who listened to part one of me and Dan going slightly crazy, talking about um, the Netflix original, The Naked Director. We only covered the first four episodes because it was actually his idea to break it into a two-parter, since there's a lot to unpack in that whole show. So we will be back probably sooner than anybody in this process, including us, is used to, um, to talk about the second part at some point. And for those of you listening to this thinking like, oh hey, the movie Promare came out, and usually out, lots of times out covers anime movies like that on his podcast, why isn't he talking about it? I will take the onus. I screwed up the ticket. I thought I bought the 19th ticket. I bought the 17th ticket. I, like, flubbed the 17th just as an end-of-day scenario. So I refunded the ticket, went and bought it for the 19th at a different theater in New York City. Lucky me, there was, like, three seats available. I got the best one out of the ones that were available. Certainly not the one I would have wanted. <laughs> um, but it's a better theater than the theater I was going to go see it in if that was the case in that in the theater I was going to see it in. So I am more than happy to go see it under those circumstances. I look forward to seeing it. I will probably talk about it. Um, but so that that will pro- that will definitely be next week's thing. The other thing I want to talk about is a game I've been playing a lot of. So, if anybody here is a huge, which I know you are, I, I, I have the numbers on my iPhone to prove it. I know we're all fans of Gundam and giant robots and giant robot fights and all that stuff. If you are, then you definitely want to check out Damon X Machina. They actually have a... They have... I believe they still have a... Pro, what they're calling the prototype. The, um... Not the prototype mission. The prototype mission was the first demo where they took, um... Feedback. But the, um... The... The, the prequel mission, I think is what it's called. Um... And that's basically their demo. You play through the first part of the game for all intents and purposes for free and then you can go download the full game. I think you have an, until October 10th to get like the fun bonus pack stuff, which is like, that's a great big long time from this game launching last Friday, but I'm in love with this thing. This is like this is like for the mech mechanic and all of us who loves tinkering with a machine and getting it feeling just right and like taking it out and completely owning like the mission, the objective, all of that stuff without really breaking a sweat. Or if you do break too much of a sweat and fail, you can go back in, you can retool everything, you can make slight tweaks, you can swap out a weapon, an arm, a head of, like, bat, like, shoulder cannon, all that stuff. It can make, kind of, your dream mech, and then just launch it and go fuck shit up, which is a lot of fun as someone who's always really liked Giant Robot series. This, this, I've never played the Armored Core series, but I hear that this invokes Armored Core feelings from one mechspert, Austin Walker, um, from Waypoint, but the thing that I would say is, just as a fan of anime and giant robot anime and things like, specifically Gundam and Macross, since I be- they got the character, they got the mechanical designer, they got, I think, they got the character, the mechanical designer from Macross, the dude what did the robots from Macross to design robots for this particular, um, do the robot designs for this thing, and it really shows. They feel, so the mechs feel like a cross between, 
like um like Macross mechs and almost like Elrec they really feel like Elreca seven mechs, if that makes any sense. But it's it just it's a lot of fun. Even even if it gets repetitive, it's a lot of fun. The online the online aspect, the co-op online aspect of it, evens out the playing field. So if you feel like you're not getting the right weapons fast enough, you can pop into a mission online, and there will be people, me among them, there to carry you and like get you some good shit. Um, but so definitely, if you're into and also, I should point this out. Lots of voice actors from lots of really well-known giant robot anime properties are in this thing. And it is a very giant robot anime-inspired story. So all that stuff is there for you. I, I'm not being paid to say this. I just love this game. Um, I sit down, I'm like, let me grab my pilot wheel. I pick up my pro controller and I go at it. And also, it's only on Switch. Um, for once, being a Nintendo fan pays off for me. <laughs> um, but, that said, I want to jump into the thing we're talking about right now, this week, which is something in entirely the different direction. And that is a show called Copcraft. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, so how I came to Copcraft is a little odd because um, I've talked about on this show before that every once in a while I have an urge to watch things that are terrible. But it, it's not just an urge to watch things that are, te- that are truly awful. Like, I'm not talking like every once in a while. I'm just like, time to pump Queensblade into my eyes. Um, although that does happen. It does without a doubt, happen. Um, sometimes I just... I just watch something that's not good. That's just okay. But, like, on the bad side of okay, and not on the good side of okay. And that can happen for a bunch of reasons. It can happen for creative reasons, like Copcraft, which I'll get into in a second. Um, it can happen for... I like what this is attempting to do, and it fill, it scratches that itch, and that's all this show is doing, and I'm fine with that. But for Copcraft, it's actually creative reason, and that creative reason is... I saw the, like, preview poster for this thing on, the Fun- on Funimation Now, and I'm like, those character designs feel familiar. 
And for those of you who have been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that I did a episode a while back on the um, show slash OVA slash environmental, like, global warming piece of media, like anime, called Blue Submarine Number 6. And the character designer on um, Blue Sub number 6 is Murata Renge. Or Renge Murata, more likely. Um, but he... His character designs have a certain flat feel to them. They don't... They, it, they're not quite super flat, but they're like... They're definitely getting there. But they also have a striking... They have. He has a knack for kind of making striking, interesting silhouettes, and and his his character design has a look to it. Um, if you haven't seen Blue Sub Six, you might have seen Last Exile. Um, that was one of his. That was uh one of his character design works. Um, you might have seen Ido. Um, Shangri-La, Salty Ray, so, this is a weird cut. Mechanical Design, The Second Renaissance Part 1 from the Animatrix, um, and a show called Yuki Dandan on my anime list, because I'm not the encyclopedia that I would actually like to be all the time. But... He has a very specific, like, flat, simple look that allows the character to exist in the space and kind of be a respite for your eye, almost. If that makes any sense. So, um, in Blue Sub number 6, the way this mesh was, Blue Sub number 6, as a show, uses a lot of early CGI. So his character design kind of clashed with the early CGI, but it also, it gives your eye a break from, like, P- late PS2 era compute, computer video game submarines, if that makes any sense. And, which is very fitting, because that, um, that show had a nautical-themed exploration game um, on the PS2, um, but, the, so, it, it, it has this very, like, simplified to a fault sometimes look, and I, I kept looking at Copcraft, and I'm like, that, that looks like that guy, and I was like, oh, Blue Sub 6 guy, let me go look that up, and I was right, and I felt proud enough for me to make, to make me watch it, and what I, Got, and also, the other reason why I watched it was because it was an interesting premise. A premise that um, a lot of us have se- uh, a lot of people listening to this podcast will feel like they've heard or seen before. So, it, basically, the premise is, is that at some point, the a big hole opened up in the sky in the ocean. And that hole leads to a fantasy world. And fantasy creatures can come down from that fantasy world. Humans can go up, although from what you gather, humans almost never go up into the fantasy world. And it's this big interdimensional gate, basically. Now, if that sounds like the show Gate, or if it sounds just a little like part of... um. Spec Ops Magical Spec Ops Magical Girl Asuka, then you shouldn't be surprised because this is a this is kind of a subgenre of like isekai anime, and that is a big gate opens up and people go through, and one leads to our world, one leads to fantasy world, and sometimes people go through, and what this. But what this show seeks to do with it is a good idea. Just 
executed in a way that's kind of boring. And I, I haven't talked about a show that's... I've talked about shows that I thought were bad, but I haven't talked about shows that were boring. And the problem with talking about shows that are boring is lots of times they don't give you much to latch on to. When you're talking about a show that you love, you can gush about it. I've done that on this podcast. We talk about shows you hate, you can, like, get into the nitty-gritty and, like, kind of tear at the edges and then tear it apart like a piece of bread that you're feeding seagulls, um, which I think is bad for them. But the point remains you get the kind of visual metaphor I'm playing with here. But a just kind of mash show, a show that's kind of boring, doesn't... doesn't let you latch on to that stuff. Like, you can latch off to the stuff that you think is bad, but it's not bad enough for you to, like, get... get any juice out of that apple, so to speak. Um, I know I'm using a lot of metaphors here. Um, but... So, basically, Copcraft is... There is this... Appar- apparently... There's this detective who works in kind of the first city that you encounter when you come to when you as a person from the fantasy world of being from the fantasy world, not always a person, come through from the fantasy world to re- to Earth. There's a city you encounter, and this is a really interesting idea because it gets at something geological that stuff like gate and stuff like um spec ops don't, spec ops girl Asuka, which I can't stress enough is awful it's, it's just a bad show um it, it gets at things that those shows kind of selectively ignore and that is it's a big gate in space as much as, like, the military would want to control it, it probably wouldn't be able to for quite some time, especially if it was just in the sky. And so, the way they handle this in, um, Gate is, which Gate is much maligned, and it's not unfairly maligned for being, which I believe I did an episode on Gate in this, for this podcast, I may have mentioned this there, but is maligned for being basically propaganda for the JSDF, for the Japanese Self-Defense Force, or JSDF. Um, but the way they handle it is, like, the military locks the thing down. That's also the way Spec Ops handle it. But if it's just, like, if it's like a doorway, that's fine. Even if it's like a gate that connects to the ground, that's magical, that's fine. But if it's like a big hole in the sky, what spits weird shit, you can't really control that. And so, what this explores, what this show uses as a backdrop, basically, because it wants to tell a certain kind of story, is this is the first city that beings from the fantasy world encounter. And what that means is is they settle there, basically. So this this city is supposed to be this paradigm of, like, humans, and I'm going to call them fae, I forget what the show term for them is, living together in harmony. But what that also means is you have, like, fae, you have fae on human crime, you have, cri- you have human on fae crime, you have what the show tries to tell you but doesn't quite, like, like, does it in a way that is... Does it in a way that is trying to... That is very clearly wagging the finger at people and saying this is bad, but not in a way that you take it seriously? It has a lot of racism. <laughs> and in a very on-the-nose move, they call the fae, the people from the fancy world, aliens. And... Uh, so, like, the, um, the, uh, I need her, I need her name. The, the character 
who ends up being the detective's, um, who ends up being the detective's partner in Copcraft, is often referred to by first the, the detective, the quote-unquote main character, and then by other people like a bouncer at a club, all kinds of other characters as an alien, and it's a derogatory term. Um, and she and and she understands it's a derogatory term because at the point at which you are introduced to this character, and um, oh god, it's like. It, it, Really, it's Exedelica. It, so, so her name is Exedelica Tylerena, Tylerena, and she is a, a a a noble knight sent to, like, sent by the ruling class of like the fantasy land, which you never see to Earth to rescue a fairy, a, like, a noble fairy that had been abducted because people are, you in this universe, can use fairies to make super drugs. So basically using fairies to make super cocaine is, is what you get from that whole scenario. And... You know, push cup, and I'm only really going to talk about the first arc because there's not that much out. It doesn't seem like this is going to super get a second season. It's not very popular, from what I can tell, but it's interesting in its way, and I'll get to why, more of why in a second. But um, she teams up with this with this detective named K Masaba, and K is this like. He, they, what they do in one episode would have been more compelling if they did it in, say, the first four. And so the first episode is Kay and his partner basically set up a sting operation to buy this, to sell this, to... Buy this fair to sell this fairy to these drug dealer to these like drug makers to these drug makers and dealers and then arrest them in the process. It goes wrong and Kay's partner dies. Now the reason with the pacing the re the reason the pacing is bad on this is because Kay gets pissed off and you find out through dialogue this character was his partner for the last four years, and they've grown really close, and it's clear that Kay knows his partner's family and ends up having to call the family, and they heap on the, like, grief porn really thick here, and it just doesn't... nothing catches, because it... it it's just one episode. It's the, it is the kind of equivalent of introducing you to a character so you'll care when they die but like immediately in the first five seconds of the first episode and then Kay is told like oh your new partner will be an alien or a fey girl and he meets this girl and over the next I want to say eight episodes, they go through, they unravel this plan for making basically a dirty bomb that will addict an enti the entire upper class neighborhood of the city. And addict the entire upper class neighborhood of the city to this like super cocaine that they're making out of fairy blood or whatever, of fairies. And they foil that plot. In the process, they find who you believe will probably be the ultimate villain of the show. And that's this um, evil magician dude. Like this evil black magic magician dude. And 
uh, it just there are some side character turns. There are some interesting quirks that they give K. For the prime example is that he is deeply allergic to cats, but he has one. So in his apartment. He, and everywhere except for when he's sleeping, he wears dust mask, he, oh, an allergy mask everywhere. Um, but it, it it just doesn't it doesn't feel great. It it's interesting because of the little tidbits of fantasy lore that they drop throughout those episodes. But what's not interesting is the fact they don't... So I've always had a problem with fantasy stuff that just chooses not to do anything with its fantasy. That makes any sense. Uh, I don't necessarily want it to be like something like Gate or like something like um, even Spec Off the Line. I'm fine if the fantasy elements are something that many times a show is uninterested in. But I'm not fine with them just using it for set dressing to tell stories because that's what it feels like Copcraft is doing. It's it's it, the second arc that I started starts with is a vampire arc. I watched the first episode and I was like, "Oh, vampires." I was like, let's go fight vampires for like half an hour or whatever next episode, and I just never tuned in. And the thing about the thing about fantasy stories and the thing that the thing that Gate fails at is kind of the same thing this fails at, but they're varying degrees of failure. So Gate as soon as Gate begins to get into territory of, like, interpersonal relationships, how characters feel, like, how characters feel based on what race they are, and all these complicated, all the complicated questions that you would have of a story in which fantasy and reality blend inelegantly at that, you start to... The, the show trails off and ultimately ends. Um, a show that does this really well is um, a show that completes that blending really well is um, the show Log Horizon. And I know Log Horizon is a trapped in an MMO show. But Log Horizon is... Interested in what that really means. It's not. It Log Horizon is almost less interested in the sheer power fantasy of being trapped in an MMO than it is interested in the thought process of how that would, of how it would function and what it would realistically mean, and it's also interested in. What's the consequence of dying if there is no death? Um, what is that consequence if you are um, human versus if you are a character in that game, if that game all of a sudden switches to being real? Um, and... It has this life, th th that show has extra life and, in it, and extra story in it, because it's this true blending of reality and fantasy, not, we're going to pick this because we think it's interesting, we're going to pick this because we think it's interesting, we're going to, like, pick this and just put a drop of it in and save the rest of it for later because we think that will be interesting. It... it and that's really what Copcraft does. It it doesn't 
it doesn't do what a good story should do. It doesn't feel like it's at least not that's the point I'm at in it. And it's rare that I don't finish a show before I talk that I don't fin that I don't finish a show and talk about it. But I thought that this this was it was so interesting to me that this was so boring in a specific way that I wanted to talk about it. Um, but the thing that Copcraft doesn't do is it doesn't feel like it's building up knowledge. It doesn't feel like it's making a knowledge base for you to work off of. Like, the, there's nothing where you call back to another point in the show and you're like, oh, this means that. In fact, it feels like the kind of show where it's going to purposely forget its own rules in the sake of for the sake of some narrative device. But really and the reason why I brought the character designer up is because there are some shows that are made for very specific purposes that are interested in very specific things that have nothing to do with the story or whatever. And what this show feels like it's interested in is it's interested in um, Exodelica as a character design. And and people's reactions to her. But the thing about <laughs> so the Moe blob characters are obviously really popular for aesthetic and all kinds of reasons. But Exodelica, which I'm getting better and better at saying, and I'm proud of myself for that, is... She's kind of bland as a Moe blob. She's not also not a great, like, waifu character. She just doesn't... Like, the, 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 all the puzzle pieces are there, but the, like, graphics have sanded down a little too far for you to notice what the puzzle comes together to be. Because this show is really interested in, like, putting her in different costumes and, like, pitting her against, romantically against X, against X-Watt, against, um, K's ex-wife. And, like, setting up this whole pseudo-romantic relationship between the two when... I think this is a mistake that people prop might make from um, a standpoint of having seen something like um, Black Lagoon and seeing the kind of the kind of like nur nurtured romantic feelings between Rock and Revy help that story along without knowing why, but without really knowing why, because this show has this very men and women can't be friends, they can only fuck um, feeling to it, because it feels like it would be a really good show if they just let Kay and Exodelica just be friends, just be like nagging friends, like, just jab at each other all the time. Because the the truth of a relationship like um, Rock and Revy from Black Goon is they feel for each other, but they're also friends, and that's the, that's honestly the truth of any relationship. If, if you've ever been in any relationship, unless, you, unless your relationship is you deeply hate the person, and even then, there's, there's something that bonds you to that person that is similar and gives you a friendship of sorts. This show wants you, wants you as the viewer to skip totally over the friendship part and just being like, but what if they fucked? And what's also disturbing about that is Exodelica's character design is very young. Like, 
very young. And they they pull the cop out of like her pulling her ID out and being like, I'm a, like I'm twenty seven and Kay, who you're led to believe is like close to that age but a little older, it's just like, yeah but in Earth years, that's like eighteen, so creepy. Also, you can't drink. Um, and that that played as a joke, but it's like what what that what that is doing is that is creating the a much lower stakes version of it's fine. She looks like she's six. But she's really a four hundred year vamp year old vampire empress of the show Dance in the Vampire Bund, which I've watched all of multiple times because I am a nightmare human. Um and strangely for the same reasons that I watched this. Weird. Um but which are not for which are once again for like the for the opportunity to have someone explore fantasy tropes as applied to something different, if that makes any sense. Uh, as applied to, like, our reality, is what I mean. But, Exodelica is, like, the, like, held up, like, when, when she transforms, she transforms from this, like, long, almost religious-feeling robe to this, like, one-piece bikini where they shoot from behind and low and, like, a sword. And it's just, like... It's a bad... It's a, it feels bad. And up until, I think, maybe episode three... That's all you get. Like, the, you get that transformation maybe once in episode two. Episode one, they introduce her. Actually, it might be four. It might be episode four. And they have this skee-ball of a character. They're like, hey, you want to get into this club? Find your lost fairy friend. Why don't you put this dress on? And this dress is like a nightie that, like, stops just below her groin. And even she's, like, uncomfortable in it. And he's like, ah, oh, it's fine. Women dress like this all the time here. It's cool. And it's just... It feels insensitive. It... So another... And I... Even I find it odd that I'm going back to Black Lagoon all the time, but Revy is a good... Revy, as a female character, is a good comparison to Exodelica because they're trying to do the same-ish things with Exodelica, personality-wise and, like, character action-wise as they do with Revy, but Revy pulls it off better because the character is better realized. So, if you ask somebody on the street and you think, hey... You think Revy from Black Lagoon is super sexy? Lots of people, including me, would say, Hell yes! And the reason for that is because... Revy the badass. She knows it. Yeah, she wears short shorts and, like, a tank top, but she's not wearing... At, at no point is she ever, like, running around in a bikini like a tactical armor. And what I mean by that is... She is a sexy character design because she's in real clothes. Because, you know, that is attainable by humanity. <laughs> and by, like... And because she's confident in those clothes. By... By changing... A character into an outfit that they are clearly not confident in, and then exposing that unconfidence to like in this universe is never and really was never sexy. 
it's just lurid and male gazy in a way that doesn't that doesn't do what uh, the end goal of that scene or that process is at all. And also, once again, they had the but she's a 400-year-old vampire conversation, and that that just never, like, that setup never actually flies. It's never okay. They save it. They, like, reach down and save the football by, like, having, like, but you're only 18 in America, which in, um, not America, but it, it, on Earth, you're only 18, which, like, it's like, oh, just legal, in a way that's still creepy, but we'll allow it. Um, so it just, it, and the whole show feels like that whole thing I just kind of went through. It feels like they're setting things up to be okay and passable when you, you stop and look at them. And they're not. And aside from the character designs, which are interesting in their simplicity and like design sense and visual language, nothing in the show really leaps off the page. If that makes any sense, like not like the the uh, other aesthetics of the show are aren't so striking that you're like I feel like I want to exist in this. Once once again, we're going to go back to um, Black Lagoon. Rowanapur as a city has this, like, life, and it has its own soundtrack and its own cast of characters. The only time you really encounter a character in, the, in Copcraft is when they want you to pay attention to a character. There's no side character, there's no exterior life outside of what you're focusing on. It it has this very limited feel that makes it feel small. It doesn't make it feel focused, it makes it feel small. And if you're going to do that, if you're going to have that kind of show, if you're going to have the kind of, like, super focused on a single cast of characters with maybe a few side moments, then you need to have a really good cast of characters, and you need to, like, nail it to the wall every time. And Copcraft just doesn't... They don't pull that off at all. It, it doesn't... It just doesn't... They, they are... The thing about it is that they are... Missing more than they're hitting, if that makes any sense. So, for every, like, cool conversation, for every cool, like, quip that Exidelica has with, like, one of the bad guys for the first arc, she has, uh, there is this sense that that conversation won't go anywhere. That conversation doesn't really matter. It's there for flavor but they're for flavor's sake to give you, like, something to latch onto about the world of the show. And I, I just... Watching it, it doesn't feel like it goes anywhere. Like, it, they, it there's this, like, preoccupation, the bad guy, the, like, the supposed bad guy of the first arc has with Exidelica's um, sword master being the person who ta taught her how to use a sword. And he asked her once, she's like, I'm not telling you, and tries to kill him. Asked him again, asked her again, and when they're fighting, and she's like, I'll finally tell you his name, and he's like, I knew the second you drew your blade. But it doesn't, it doesn't, that moment doesn't feel like it's there for anything more than to, like, form the trapping. It doesn't feel like that's going to come back around, really. And even if it does, 
it's probably going to just be, like, more flavor text. And it's just, like... The, the worst thing a show can do, if it's on a budget, is make you feel like it has a budget. So, um... And make you feel like it has a budget without, like, poking fun at itself. So, one of the reasons why people think the end of the the original end of the Evangelion TV run is so, like, awful is because that is the point at which you really feel the fact that they are out of money. <laughs> there are other, like... The, the like, 36-second straight elev silence elevator scene really sells that when you look back on the show, but in the moment, you are so caught up in that show that you're just like, oh, I'm here for this entire fucking elevator ride. This is so weird. <laughs> and your insides are twisting themselves with anxiety over these characters. But... For a show, another Gynax show, actually, that clearly Gynax always had the budget. Um, all anime, all animation studios have budget for their shows, but Gynax is known for blowing the blowing theirs lots of time. Is a show, is a romantic show, is a rom romantic comedy called Caracano, or is in her circumstances, and I think it's the like middle episode of that show is done entirely with paper cutouts on popsicle sticks. And it's excellent. And it is probably way less expensive than you think it is. But it feels excellent. Um, at, but, but a show like Copcraft makes you feel it's budget from the beginning. Because there's no there's not a whole lot of side characters. There's not a whole lot of like stuff happening around people. It's just kinda empty. You meet characters you need to like if you if a character is speaking to the camera, if a character is speaking, period, then you should pay attention to them. But that's about it. There, there aren't really background characters. There aren't, isn't really any of that. And it just, it's kind of meh, if that makes any sense. Um, that being said, this is where I'm going to kind of end it. Um, my name is Alex, and you've been listening to Lunchbox Radio. If you like this podcast, you can go subscribe, listen to all the episodes, including the episode I'm going to do on Promare next week. Um, you can rate us in iTunes, um, that is where the world prefers you rate things, unfortunately. Um, that really helps a lot, and you can give the pod, you can recommend the podcast to friends who like anime. They listen to this guy, he supposedly knows a lot about anime, but he hasn't proven it yet, but odds are that he probably does. Um, <laughs> uh, Stunning rendition of what I think about myself, I guess. And on that note, until next time, I'll talk to you later. この世界の果てで祈る